Tonight I'm going to go ahead and we're going to do um, our meditation, but it won't be absolute silence tonight. We're going to use the hemi-sync music. Um, part of what happens with this particular music is that it comes from the Monroe Institute. And hemi-sync stands for hemispherical synchronization, where the, the different sounds and vibrations that they use in the music um, literally help to balance left and right brain. And so um, I'm going to use that in our meditation tonight. So that will be playing in the background instead of our usual silent meditation. <coughs> um, and I'd like to open with this prayer. This is a revised edition of, for those of you that are familiar with the prayer of St. Francis of Assisi. This is a revised prayer. And I really like the revisions done to it. Lord... I am an instrument of thy peace. Where there is hatred, I am love. Where there is injury, I am healing. Where there is doubt, I am faithful. Where there is darkness, I am light. Creator, through unconditional love, I choose to be compassionate. I choose to be understanding. I choose love. I choose to see you and all others and myself. I choose to give, trusting in my replenishment. I choose to allow, knowing that all is in divine order. And I choose to surrender, knowing that this truly is the path of freedom. <coughs> okay. So we're going to go ahead and do our meditation now. And, and the same stuff applies as in silent meditation, is to focus on your breath. In this instance, if you want to focus on what you hear, obviously you're going to have the music that you can focus on, besides any other sounds that might come up. Make sure that you allow when you hear other sounds, which includes sometimes people that will stand right outside that door and have a nice loud conversation, just invite it in. Include it. If you, when you notice the irritation come up, that irritation is resistance and it's judgment. And as soon as you go there, the ego's got, got control of what's going on. So um, invite it in, allow it to be a part of what you're experiencing. Um, and I think the biggest thing is just focus on your breath. Really ride your breath in and out. And we're going to go for 15 minutes. I'll start us with the bowl. <clears throat> and go where you're comfortable. Okay, we're back. Kind of. <laughs> How was that with the, the hemi-sync music? For those of you who've been doing this for a while, did you notice any difference? With the music, my head got heavy. Really? Mm -hmm. Interesting. <laughs> Out of body experience? Yeah, I was like, I was like, I got But really different experience. Yeah. Green's the color of the heart chakra. 
so I don't know if that has anything to do with it, but <coughs> anybody else want to comment or ask questions? No? Okay. Um, hmm? Yes, no? Oh, I just thought, oh, how lovely. That was wonderful. It was. It was beautiful. And then the second time that it did it, it was like, oh, it's only going to do it twice. Did it ring? It was that kind of that. Harp. Well, that was your phone. Yeah. That harp. Yeah. It was a phone. I think that's very Maybe that's what I hear for the crystal ball. I heard it going off outside. That was Kim's phone. That's awesome. Okay, tonight's subject is what does acceptance and non-judgment look like in a relationship? And people always struggle with that and are always asking me, you know, okay, so does that mean I put up with this or I look the other way or I turn the other cheek? No, and that's not what turn the other cheek means either, by the way. Um, and we're going to explore all of that. So I wanted to open it with reading out of <coughs> Tolle's uh, Power of Now. Um, And I love the way he addresses a lot of this stuff in relationships. Unless and until you access the consciousness frequency of presence, all relationships, and particularly intimate relationships, are deeply flawed and ultimately dysfunctional. They may seem perfect for a while, such as when you are in love but invariably that apparent perfection gets disrupted as arguments, conflicts, dissatisfaction, and emotional or even physical violence occur with increasing frequency. It seems that most love relationships become love-hate relationships before long. Love can then turn into savage attack, feelings of hostility, or complete withdrawal of affection at the flick of a switch. This is considered normal, (laughs) isn't it? Yeah. Um, the relationship then oscillates for a while, a few months, a few years, however long, between the polarities of love and hate. And it gives you as much pleasure as it gives you pain. And it is not uncommon for couples to become addicted to those cycles, which a lot of you are aware of is what happens out of codependency is the addiction of love addiction and avoidance addiction and how that hooks up in relationships. Um, the drama makes them feel alive. When a balance between the positive-negative polarities is lost and the negative-destructive cycles occur with increasing frequency and intensity, which tends to happen sooner or later, then it will not be long before the relationship finally collapses. And that includes those relationships where if you think, well, there's no violence in my relationship, so I guess we're okay. What I would have you look at is if you have what's called an apathetic relationship because apathy really is the opposite of love. Love Love-hate is really, is the same coin. 
But if you want to look at the true opposite of love, it's apathy. To where all you're wanting to do in the relationship is not have any pain. You're just wanting to keep the status quo and, you know, fly below the radar. And both partners are doing that. And I've worked with a lot of folks that have been married a long time and they are, what they have is an apathetic relationship. Okay? So it's moved out of the pain and the struggle of this intensity thing going back and forth that he's just talked about. And it's gotten deadened and numbed out. And that's how at that point, after so many years of that insanity, if you're going to stay together, that's really the only way that's going to happen, is dropping into that numbness, into that apathy. Um, which, as far as I'm concerned, that's the relationship has collapsed. Because there's no relationship there. You've heard people talk about, you know, I, I'm sure you've had friends or relatives that may have said, I don't know why I'm in this marriage. All I, I feel like I just have a roommate. That's an apathetic relationship. When you have a roommate relationship, that's apathy. <clears throat> it may appear that if you could only eliminate the negative or destructive part of the cycle, then all would be well and the relationship would flower beautifully. But alas, that's not possible. The polarities are mutually interdependent. You cannot have one without the other. And that's what's really important to get here is that And I did this for years, believing if we could eliminate the negativity part, you know, and, and it wasn't, you know, I, I really have to say it wasn't always where I was, I mean, there was lots of times where I'd look at him and it was like if he would just <laughs> stop doing this or start doing that, everything would be better. But there was a lot of the time, too, that I was taking on all the responsibility, that if I wasn't such a screw-up, if, if I only knew how to communicate better, if I, if I wasn't operating out of fear, then we'd move out of this negativity. And the trouble is, is that to go from that negative intensity and the, and the, the positive intensity, which is that in love, that romantic love ideal, they're interdependent on each other. So if you eliminate this one, this one has to go. So how do you do that and still have this notion of loving somebody? You know, and, and caring about them intimately and, and experiencing interdependence. Being able to give and receive and allow that ebb and flow to move in and out of your relationship with each other. And that's where it gets really difficult, and that's where people will say, well, that's where I'm supposed to just accept her crap, right? <laughs> I'm going, yeah, no. <laughs> and we're all here, you know, well, what, I'm not supposed to judge him? I mean, what he's doing is really effed up. I can't, you know, I, I, I it just is. <laughs> and this is what I'm going to tell you about that. Acceptance is truly about, when, when you hear moment, what do you think? What do you think when you hear the word moment? Pause. 
this split second. Not this hour and a half that I'm here. (laughs) That's not a moment. The moment is right now. Right now. So that we can talk about the experience that we had earlier of doing a meditation and the lovely harp music that assisted us. (laughs) But it doesn't exist anymore. It simply doesn't exist anymore. It's the past. It's done. It's over. And we each have our own perception of it. If I gave each of you five minutes to share what that experience of the heart music was like, just something that simple, while you were meditating, what was it like to hear the heart music? There'd be some similarities with every single one of you. There'd be differences as well because you'd have a different perspective on it, a different experience. So it wasn't even the same now for each one of us. Okay? So when I talk about acceptance, acceptance simply means, and we've talked about this the last couple of circles, I don't mind what happens. In this moment, can I accept, like say, say you've just had an argument with your significant other, your spouse, and there's tension, and you're experiencing let's not say anger frustration you're frustrated okay now the first thing I'm going to have you do is change your language instead of saying I'm frustrated that means you're fully and wholly identifying with it you are now the the frustration the whole of your being there's nothing else to you nothing else You are frustration incarnate by saying that. So you've made it bigger than it is, and you've made it who you are. Anytime you say, I'm or I am. Okay? And I really want you to start getting aware of that, including when you apologize. Do not put sorry after I'm or I am. Because you're saying to your cell tissue, right down to your cells, that you're a sorry person. So what you say instead, see, because we've gotten really lazy in how we talk. What you say instead is, I feel sorry. Okay? Because that's what you're feeling. I regret that I said that to you. I feel sorry that my actions caused you hurt. But to say, I'm or I am, you're literally telling right down to your DNA that you're a sorry person. And guess what? Whether you're aware of it or not, your body's responding to that. Okay? So, anything angry, to say, I'm angry, you've personified it now. I feel angry. Okay? Just play with that in your heads for a minute. You're going to tell somebody you feel hurt. And usually what we do is that we say, I'm hurt. Now in your mind, just say, I feel hurt. Can you feel the difference? 
it's subtle, but there's a shift. And your body will respond to it. So the first thing I want you to do is to recognize that it's a feeling. It isn't who you are. Separate yourself from it. You want to move into observer mode. So if you're going to be in true acceptance of something and you're having frustration with your partner, you're now going to step into, I feel frustrated. Then the next thing to, to look at is to ask yourself, can I accept that in this moment, and you can ask it two ways, in this moment I feel frustrated, or can I accept in this moment I have frustration in me? You can put it that way. Because that's still keeping it separate from who you are. But that you're, you're observing and noticing that you're experiencing that feeling in you. Okay? So, if you, if you can get yourself to a place of yes, I can accept right now I feel frustrated. And really accept that. Sit with that. You're going to start to notice more space gets between you and that emotion, the energy of that emotion. Which means you're going to start to be more clear about the action that you need to take. You might discover, oh, I'm frustrated because I'm not getting what I want. You know? So I need to go clean this up with him or her. You know? Or it might be, oh, I'm expecting him or her to behave a certain way so that I can feel loved. Wow, that's huge. Here's a role I want you to play so that you follow this script and then you have the responsibility of making sure that I feel loved. And you veer off this script, I don't feel loved, I'm going to feel really frustrated with you. Isn't that what we do? Is there something wrong with you? <laughs> I know, I say that like it's a bad thing, right? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and it's not bad. That's the other thing I want to talk about tonight is the judgment part of that because what I talked about was what does it look like to have not acceptance and non-judgment in a relationship? So the first thing I would have you do, Kim, is to look at that with, okay, I, I'm not going to judge this as bad. I'm going to recognize I live in a culture that literally teaches this and reinforces it on every flipping level. Every possible level. Romantic love in that la-la sense does not, is not real and it can't last. Now it doesn't mean that you can't be in that feeling space of wanting to totally give your heart to someone, that sense of that feeling. Okay? What I'm talking about is that drug feeling that we get, where just the thought of that person, uh, we only see what we want to see and hear what we want to hear, 
And, you know, when we don't hear from them every 15 minutes, <laughs> what's wrong? <laughs> I mean, literally, I've got some, some students that that's, I haven't heard from him in an hour, and that's just not like him. And, oh, Jesus, yeah, tie it off and jam it in there. I mean, because that's really what it is, you know? And now they're in withdrawal because they haven't gotten that hit. So it really isn't about the other person. It's about, I want to feel this way, and so you have to behave in a certain way so that I can get that feeling. So that I can be high. Because it really is a high feeling. This, this thing up here called the brain and all the neurotransmitters that we have is the best pharmaceutical company in the world. I mean, it's amazing. Okay? So, the first thing I would have you do is to recognize this isn't bad. Because as soon as we judge any of it as bad, the ego is going to start pushing away because it doesn't, you know, I don't want to be a bad person. I don't want to see myself as wrong. I mean, the ego, that's the last place it wants to go. Right? So then it's going to be difficult for me to even see it, to look at it. If I look at it and go, it just is. You know? A lot of people will hear different stuff that I quote from Eckhart, and, and they'll say, well, gosh, that's really harsh. And I said, yeah, if you judge it. But he's not saying it's good, bad, right, or wrong. He's saying it's just a fact. And until we're willing to look at the facts of what is, we don't have any power. We've given our power up to our delusions, basically. And delusions, basically, my definition is denial with pictures. Because <laughs> I have a very vivid imagination, so <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right, so if we're looking at getting rid of judgment, we have to get rid of, and re here's another part of our language. You have to really let go, work hard at letting go of those four words. Good, bad, right, wrong. Good, bad, right, wrong. And all the rules that we decide what make good people, and when those rules are broken, then that makes them bad people. And what's amazing is that if you've ever watched a movie that was really done well, where they really developed the characters, and the good guy, the quote-unquote good guy and the quote-unquote bad guy, were not as, as, as perfectly good and perfectly evil <laughs> as we like to see them, but they really fleshed, fleshed them out as people, as human beings, and you, could, you got some history on the guy that was playing the bad role and realized, well, gosh, maybe that's where he's coming from. You know, you actually had some understanding. That understanding was compassion. That was compassion. You were able to step back out of that good, bad, right, wrong stuff and look at that person with a compassionate heart and recognize that the guy playing the good guy role, you know, wasn't always 100% following his rules that he was laying on everybody. 
And what it did was made him human. You know, he was human. But see, we don't do that. And we really don't do that with people that are famous. You know, we find out that our sports heroes, that our politicians, that anybody that's really famous, if we find out one, that's why they can dig up dirt on them. That's what that is. Because they know they can feed us, feed into our judgments of bad and wrong. Now, we're not going to like that person. Even though we're given the story and the information totally out of context, we have no idea what's really going on with this person. We haven't walked one inch in their shoes or their skin. But by God, we're willing to sit there and be in full-on judgment. Oh, but don't look at me real close, though. <laughs> I think it's easier to accept and not judge the further away somebody is from me and the closer they are in my um, intimacy then it's really easy to do it ah I accept better out here ah out okay yeah because they're You're safe friend, you can do a million things and I'm going to love you mm -hmm. seriously because you don't live with them yeah you don't but pay the but here it's a whole different story mm-hmm mm-hmm so how do you have that acceptance? What, so, if you, so if you go to that place of, okay, can I accept in this moment I'm feeling frustrated with my partner? And that's where you need to go to first, is can I accept that this is what I'm feeling? And take a look at why I'm feeling frustrated. I'm frustrated with John because he doesn't listen to me. And then one of the things you could do is take that through Katie's work. You know, John doesn't listen to me. Is that true? Well, yeah. I, <laughs> I uh-huh. <laughs> Can I absolutely know it's true that John doesn't listen to me? And you have to sit with that. If you do this from left brain, if you do it from your intellect, and you're not writing it down or being facilitated by somebody and taking your time with it, you're going to do it all from left brain, from the intellect, which means your ego is in charge, and you're going to get no result. So, like with that second question, I would have you sit with that a minute. And there's no right or wrong answer. You can still say, yes, I absolutely know. He doesn't listen to me. But I'd want you to sit with it first for a little bit and see what comes up around that. And then third, how do you feel? How do you react? How do you treat John? How do, how do you treat others when you're in that frame of mind thinking John doesn't listen to me? And take a look at what you're doing, how you're feeling, how you view the world, how you treat other people, how you treat him. Really look at what that thought does to you. What are some of the obsessions and addictive behaviors you get into? Oh, I smoke more, or I eat more, or I don't eat, or I oversleep and... I just try to check out and hide, or I turn on the TV and I just watch one show after another without even watching. Or I get on the internet and I just, you know, message people all over the place and stay lost on the internet. And some people do that. Some people are into busy addiction, and so their houses are absolutely spotless. You could eat off the floor, <laughs> you know? Every detail is taken care of. So, I mean, there's tons of ways that we, that we run from those uncomfortable feelings. 
And then the fourth question is, what would your life look like without this story? John doesn't listen to me. And to sit with that and take a look at, okay, John's still going to be John, whoever John is and whatever he's doing. But if I don't have this story that he doesn't listen to me, what would my life look like? What would I be doing instead? And see what comes up. Then you get to start playing with the turnarounds. Opposite, John does listen to me. And I have to come up with three examples of when he has listened to me. And by golly, I haven't talked to, I haven't facilitated anybody through this work that we haven't been able to come up with opposite evidence. Almost every time. It's amazing. Well, yeah, I suppose he listened to me this time when I said we needed to get blah, 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 because the next night he came home with it from the store. And I didn't expect him to go right out and buy it. It cost a lot of money, but he said, you said you wanted it. Well, he must have listened. Imagine that. <laughs> so you look at opposite, you look at other. I don't listen to John. Is there evidence that I don't listen to him? Or to her. And then you turn it to the self. I don't listen to myself. How many times has that quiet little voice said, I uh, don't think you really want to do that? And you said, Screw it. And <laughs> did it anyway. <laughs> that would be one piece of evidence of you not listening to yourself. <laughs> So that's just a quick run through of, of Katie's work, but you know, that would be one tool you could use at that moment, dependent on what was going on, so that you could get even more distance from being right in the middle of all the emotion, because the emotion is not fact. It's energy in motion. It's all it is, and it changes all the time how quickly we can go from being angry and shutting out the other person if they come in and are in tears and are on their knees begging our forgiveness, promising never to go there again. And somehow that frustration shifts. So to base decisions on emotion, to me, is basing decisions on what the ego is, is feeding me all the time. The emotion tells me, okay, I'm, I'm getting false information from the ego again. There's some thoughts coming in that I'm not examining or I'm not paying attention to because I don't feel positive. I don't, I don't feel light. I don't feel joy. I don't feel peace. That's my first clue. Um, going back to I feel sorry, mm -hmm. I made amends to my dad recently uh, <coughs> because I ate his dinner. And so I decided to go make amends to him, and it was totally pointless. Uh, he argued with me about um, that I was apologizing wrong, that I was doing it wrong. He wanted to hear, I'm sorry, I'm sorry for eating your dinner, and I said, over and over, I feel sorry. I feel sorry for eating the dinner. And he wow. Take it. He wouldn't, you know. So we were arguing about this, and just I tried to explain to him, and I'm like, okay, I'm leaving now. This is just stupid. So. That's the second time that I've heard somebody actually 
experienced someone else saying that you weren't really regretful for what you did because you weren't saying, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Isn't that amazing? Well, well, they get locked into this tunnel vision. You know, there's just only one way of being. Their expectations. Their expectations, right. Yeah. And, and part of it, too, is that we make amends for ourselves. We don't do it for the other person. If the other person wants to forgive, that's just gravy. Mm-hmm. But bottom line is they don't have to forgive. I clean up my side of the street for me. And I've had lots of people not accept it, tell me, you know, screw you, I don't care. Okay. I needed to clean up my side of the street. I took care of business. Done deal. So you want to hang on to it? Then it's, you know, they're drinking poison waiting for me to die. (laughs) So at that point, it's on them. I've cleaned up my side of the street, and as long as I'm not repeating that behavior, I've done what I needed to do for me, and that's all I can do. And it even tells us we don't go in making amends, expecting people to forgive us, or that we have to grovel, or we have to somehow convince them. So, and I know it might be tough with your dad, but I would suggest that maybe next time you run into a scenario like that with anybody, where they're not accepting that, or wanting to argue with how you're presenting your amends, is to say, I understand that you don't agree with me, um, my amends stand, and I don't want, it's not open for discussion. Because your amends aren't open for discussion, at least in terms of like that, in that way. Yeah. So acceptance is about accepting the moment so that you can get space. Once you get that space, then you can get a sense of the action you want to take. Do you see how much more clear you can get when you can go, okay, I am feeling frustrated. And right now I can accept I'm feeling frustrated. What am I feeling frustrated about? And sit with that and just notice what comes up. And then you realize maybe I'm frustrated because I'm not getting what I want. I'm frustrated because if he would have only done this, if she would have only done that, I could have felt loved and wanted. Oh, wow. That means the other person's responsible to make me feel loved. So that's really something to look at and question. And maybe take through Katie's work. Um, <coughs> and the more distance you get, then the more you can you can. So let's say that the other person verbally abused you, just assassinated your character, and so you're feeling hurt and angry. Can I accept in this moment I'm feeling hurt and angry? And sit with that. Yeah, I am. I can accept that. Get that distance. And the first place that I go to is I kind of jump to the end of the turnarounds, of Katie's turnarounds. I go immediately to, have I ever done that? On any level? Have I ever said to somebody something that wasn't invited? 
know, Don Miguel Ruiz even talks about this from another place when he's talking about don't take anything personal because he, he, he the, in um, Toltec, they refer to it as the matote, that it's evil, evil energy. And that, you know, so if I say to you, you know, that color really doesn't look good on you. Or that jacket, it just, it doesn't look all that good. Yeah. And what happens is the ego will do an ego repair mode kind of thing, right? Most of the time it'll say, you know, screw you. <laughs> or it, it might, you know, whatever it might do, it might even come back with a sarcastic remark or it might laugh it off or whatever. But on some level, isn't it true that it kind of eats away? You start looking at that differently. Maybe somebody made a comment about your body. And now you're really self-conscious. And what he talks about is that that's a form of black magic. We steal people's energy by doing that. Because if we are all connected, and I say something like that to you, I'm impacting you on a huge level. It takes stepping out of the ego. It takes being able to move into acceptance of, I feel this right now. And being able to work with it in recognition of, have I ever done this to someone else? And that includes, you know, I have a lot of people, a lot of people tell me, well, I never did that, you know, sober. Well, great. But if you did it drunk and loaded, still the same thing in my book. You know, it means you still did it. And it doesn't mean that it makes me a better person because I haven't done it since I've been sober and this other person did it when they were sober. It doesn't make me a better person. If I can't see the connection, I'm, I'm disconnected from my own compassion, okay, my own humanity. And that's probably because I've been disconnected from my own humanity in this culture. We live in a culture that doesn't allow us to be human. It wants us domesticated. It wants us living a certain way. And if we don't fit into that box, by God, we're going to hear about it. And we're going to get told, in one way or another, we're unacceptable. And what happens is the ego jumps up and runs to our defense. So more resistance, more persistence. It just keeps coming at us. So instead, sit with the feeling. Can I accept in this moment I'm feeling hurt? and to sit with that and notice what comes up around it. Okay, so what is going on around the hurt? Oh, might be because I do recognize where I've done this myself. Someone else may have been a long time ago, but I did it. Or something like it. I find, okay, y'all know that part of what I teach is what I get from Tolle and Domingo Ruiz and Carolyn Mace and Byron Katie and Ram Das and all the rest of them. Bottom line is, everything we experience in our reality, we project. 
So if I'm experiencing verbal abuse from somebody, but I've never, I can, I can never remember, seriously, honestly, never remember, which don't hear me say that because it isn't the truth about me. <laughs> but if, if, you're the per if you're a person who can honestly say, I've never verbally abused anybody ever, what I would ask you to do is look at what goes on between your ears. Do you verbally abuse people up here? Do you verbally abuse yourself? Because we will tolerate as much abuse from someone outside of us as we abuse ourselves. It's a hard truth to look at, huh? Yeah. And part of that is because we keep waiting for the outside people and circumstances to change so that we can feel loved and lovable and move into the, what we imagine is this, you know, I used to picture this Disneyland version of <laughs> what life was going to look like, right? There'd be fireworks in the background and there'd be a parade going on over here. <laughs> Nobody would be hurt or mad and everybody would be happy and singing. And the birds would be twirling around Snow White's head. And, <laughs> and you know, it'd be great. You know? Because in my childhood, in watching the wonderful world of Disney every Sunday night, was one of the few times that I felt okay, that I felt safe. And I saw that as that was it. That had to be it. And that was on TV, so it was real for somebody somewhere. <laughs> and isn't that amazing even when we become adults and find out that's all a set those are actors they're following a script <laughs> there's directors they did a lot of takes because they kept screwing up <laughs> that we still believe in that stuff so going back to the relationship if I can recognize where I've done that to someone else, I can have compassion for my significant other. Now, does that mean that I accept that behavior? No, it does not. Not having a judgment does not mean that I don't have preferences. And today, one of my preferences in life is that I have peaceful and respectful conversation. So when somebody starts to become verbally abusive with me, I stop the conversation and I just say, I'm not willing to continue this. If you want to continue this conversation another time when you've been able to bank down your emotion around it, I'd be willing to listen. And right now, not but, I've just, if you say but, you've just canceled everything you just said. And right now, I'm not going to continue this. And you feel the power of my owning that? 
it's really clear. There's no negotiation. And I don't have to be angry at the person to be really clear and non-negotiable about what I prefer. So it's really easy, and this part is, if you're willing to separate yourself from the emotion by sitting in acceptance with it. Can I accept that right now in this moment I have hurt inside of me or I feel hurt? <coughs> Either way, whatever feels more natural for you. I kind of bounce back and forth. But either way, I am not making me that particular feeling. <coughs> which gives me immediately more power. If I'm saying, oh my gosh, I am so hurt right now, that's all I am. I'm absolutely powerless to do anything, and all I'm going to do is sit in the hurt, not sit with it. And there's a huge difference. I'm going to sit in it, and that's where we wallow, and those emotions run us for days. And we've, you know, I think we've all kind of experienced that to some degree. Okay, so, and the judgment thing is, I don't have to judge my partner as bad or wrong with his or her verbal abuse of me to recognize whatever's going on with them, they're projecting it onto me because what's really going on they're verbally abusing themselves, aren't they? So I can have compassion. I don't have to judge them as wrong or bad in order to say, I'm not going to listen to this. It's not okay for anyone to, to scream at me and shout at me and call me names and say bad things about who I am. I don't listen to that. And I don't have to judge him as bad or wrong to be clear about that. That's the difference. That's how we can be non-judgmental and accepting in a relationship. And I can accept that maybe what I have to learn is that I kept thinking I could change this person. How many times have we done that? Hmm? I love him enough. I'll be understanding enough. I'll be the special one. <laughs> and he'll stop being this verbal abuser, right? Yeah, how well did that work? <laughs> not, huh? <laughs> okay. Because in fact, it's not about us. That's where I really recommend Don Miguel Ruiz's work. And his first book was The Four Agreements. So to really, to really take a look at that, you know, don't take anything personal, don't make assumptions, always do your best, and... The first one, uh, something about impeccable. Oh, be impeccable with your word. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and what really what that is, is recognizing, I mean, he, the first time I read his book, and he said in there, even if someone comes up and shoots you in the face, it's not personal. <laughs> and 
my books used to get what I call air miles <laughs> when I read something <laughs> that I was in total disagreement with and I couldn't believe this person even put that on paper it went flying across the room so at that point it got air miles and but it wouldn't leave me <laughs> I kept it kept coming somebody shot me in the face it wouldn't be personal how the hell would that not be personal I'd be dead I mean that's pretty personal <laughs> Uh, the Four Agreements. Yeah, that's his first book. <coughs> and what I began to get with that is that that person's actions had everything to do with their perception of the world and me and didn't have anything to do with me. Even if I end up dead, it didn't have anything to do with me. Now, yeah, I may end up dead, but, you know, we drop this meat suit every so often anyway and come back in a new one, so <laughs> it's like changing clothes, right? <laughs> That's kind of how I see it. So, huh? The person holding the gun that is all about them. It's, it's Absolutely. No other way. There's no other that. way to make it about me. No. Well, it doesn't even have anything to do with no, that. No, but I mean, a lot of people try and blame themselves. What could I have done differently? And it's not, you can't. It's not and who knows? What, you know, the thing is, is that I also believe in sacred contracts. That with every incarnation, with a group of souls, we make a bunch of agreements with each other to experience different things. And down here, we judge a lot of those things as bad and awful, and why would I have contracted to do that? I mean, come on, really, Karen? Yeah, we do, because on the other side of the veil, we don't judge anything. You know, we're signing up for Disney Earth, man. You know, this is like, these are the rides we sign up for. <laughs> and it's, it's, huh? Yeah, exactly. And we wanted those experiences. How else am I going to experience what it's like to be forgiving unless somebody does something really huge so that I can experience forgiving that, whether they make amends or not? How can I experience? How can I experience being kind if someone's not in need? How can I experience being grateful if I'm always sitting at a banquet? It's easy to be grateful at a banquet. It's not so easy to be grateful when you don't know where your next meal's coming from. And to me, that's when it really counts. So, I think it's really important, too, to take a look at how much we use the good, bad, right, and wrong, because we may say a situation today, oh, that was really good, that was awesome. And by tomorrow, because of the way things continued to evolve out of that situation, now we're going, oh man, that wasn't so good after all. <laughs> now it's a bad thing, right? You all have heard me tell the story of the old man on the white horse. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's, that's what that's about. It's if you stay out of the judgment and go, I don't know if this is good or bad. All I know is the fact. 
I don't know that this car accident is bad. All I know is I got in a car accident. My car is crunched. I don't know that it was a bad thing that last Thursday I fell and bounced my head off the concrete, <laughs> which I did. I don't know that it's a bad thing. All I know is I fell and I injured myself physically. That's what I know. And if I stay there, then I'm open to more possibilities. I was, I was sharing earlier before Circle started about my experience. And it reminded me of this wonderful word. I used to use it a lot. And, and then I got tired of me using it, so I quit using it for a while. <laughs> but it's called, it's, and it's a real word. It's shakabuku. And shakabuku, you can look it up. It, truly, you can. It's S-H-O-K-A-B-U-K-U. And shakabuku literally means a spiritual swift kick to the head that alters your life forever. <laughs> I've had lots of shakabukus. <laughs> and I think I had one last Thursday, but I'm still trying to make sense out of it and, until my brain settles back down from the knock I got on the noggin. I may not be able to assess all that yet, but it, you know, it really is about not deciding anything's a bad thing. I got fired from my job. I don't know that it's a bad thing. All I know is I've been let go at work. My husband left me. I don't know that that's a bad thing. All I know is that he has moved out. See what I'm saying? That includes, and this is where it gets really, really tough. And it doesn't mean that we don't experience grief. So don't hear that. Someone that I love dies. I don't know that that's a bad thing. All I know is they have physically passed on. That's what I know. And stay with that. Stay with the fact, not the story the ego wants to make. So that we actually go up into our head and have an emotional reaction to what we're thinking rather than doing the real grief that's sitting in our heart waiting, but we're so busy avoiding this, we come up here, think all this horrible stuff and, and have this emotional reaction, and we think we do, we're doing our grief, right? But we're not. And that's why people end up stuck in grief for years and years and years and years. I've worked with lots of folks who either got stuck in anger or stuck in depression, one of, one of those two stages in grief, because of that because they stayed up here. So it's really important to take a look at, oh, I'm judging this is good. I don't know this is good. All I know is, and watch how you become more of an observer when you back up like that. Okay. Um, the store today and the pair I have in my purse broke right here and I had to read the back labels of cat food bags trying to find the one lowest in fiber <laughs> for my poor constipated cat. <laughs> I had to ask the guy at Petco, can I have some tape for my <laughs> Oh, 
mean, he was a he was a good boy. I said, your mother would be proud of you, honey. <laughs> he didn't miss a beat. He said, sure, come on over here. We'll fix those right up. <laughs> okay. Um, 159. I wanted to read this. Never before have relationships been as problematic and conflict-ridden as they are now. Humanity is under great pressure to evolve because it is our only chance of survival as a race. And as, as you may have noticed, they are not here, the relationships are not here to make you happy or fulfilled. <laughs> you noticing that yet? <laughs> if you continue to pursue the goal of salvation through a relationship, you will be disillusioned again and again. But if you accept that the relationship is here to make you conscious instead of happy, then the relationship will offer you salvation, but not because of the other person being there. And you will be aligning yourself with the higher consciousness that wants to be born into this world. For those who hold on to the old patterns, there will be increasing pain, violence, confusion, and madness. So I thought that was, that was a great thought to leave you with. <laughs> um, I also wanted to read these couple of these quotes. This is from Abraham Maslow. He did the original hierarchy of needs. If you love something or someone enough at the level of being, then you can enjoy its actualization of itself, which means that you will not want to interfere with it since you love it as it is in itself. This in turn means that you will be able to see it as it is, uncontaminated by your selfish wishes, hopes, demands, anxieties, or preconceptions. Neither will you be prone to judge it, use it, improve it, or in any other way to project your own values onto it. It adds up to this. You may be fond enough of someone to dare to see him just as he is. I love that. And this is an Eckhart quote, which is what we've been talking about most of the night. Accept, then act. Whatever the present moment contains, accept it as if you have chosen it. Always work with it, not against it. This will miraculously transform your whole life. And it will. It will. Okay. Um, how are we doing? Um, any, or, any other comments or questions? The Eckhart Tolle one? Yeah, totally. Accept, then act. Whatever the present moment contains, accept it as if you have chosen it. Always work with it, not against it. This will miraculously transform your whole life. And what we do is that we work against it. We fight it, we try to make it go away. If it doesn't feel good, we're busy trying to numb it, shut it down blame the other per I mean, we do everything 
but accept it and work with it and move from there. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter. It truly doesn't matter. Lisa. There was something that happened tonight where um, it's like in the present moment when I'm doing what I'm doing, I don't realize in the moment that I am being a bitch and being rude to someone until after it happens. What I was thinking up on talking about going through this dialogue and it happens so quickly. It's just it's spontaneous. I'll be angry. Bam. Boom. Well, it is, but see, that's part of what, what, what part of the work becomes, what part of the exercise, if you want to look at it that way, your task, your job, is to raise your awareness about it. So the more I vocalize it out loud, like as soon as the awareness comes up that I just said a sarcastic remark to somebody, I go to them and I say, you know what, I just became aware that was a sarcastic remark. And even if they say, oh, I thought it was funny, don't worry about it. No, that's not who I want to be. I'm not comfortable with that. And what it did was it disconnected you and me. Because those kind of comments do. It keeps us separate. Or it keeps us in the illusion of separateness. Because we never are. We just think we are. But those kinds of behaviors facilitate that illusion or that belief that we are separate. So I just cut communication between you and me by doing that. So I make it, I bring it up, I say it as soon as I get awareness of it. Because the more I do that, what happens is the more my awareness raises, the quicker I can catch it, and eventually I'm catching it before I open my mouth. And then, of course, <laughs> this is me because... I think a lot of times I have a five-year-old that's on board most of the time. But I got so excited that I caught it before I said it. I told the person what I was going to say to him, but I was so happy because I didn't say it. <laughs> and I went, oh, okay, we just screwed that one up. <laughs> you tell somebody else about being all excited about that. Oh, okay. <laughs> But that's what you do. You, you know, it's like, it, I've, I've talked about it in here before. It's like going to the gym. You go to the gym, right? You haven't been to the gym in forever, or never have been. And you start working out, and you work out for 15 minutes. And you're, you know, if you're like me, I was crawling out of there. I said, no, I'm good. <laughs> I'll see you all later. Maybe like in a week <laughs> when I can walk again. Um, and you, but you have to keep doing it. And if you keep doing it, then I was able to stay on the elliptical for 20 minutes. And then it became 25. And then it became 30. And then I could even afterwards go around and do some free weights. And you just you keep at it. You just keep at it until, it's like anything, if you're going to learn how to play the piano, you've got to practice every day. And eventually, all the mistakes you make through trying to play chopsticks, you know, a year or two down the road, you're playing something by Beethoven. Because you practiced every day. And as you learned, you added that knowledge to what you were practicing. 
And that's what this is. It's the same thing. So it just requires that discipline of I'm willing to always hold myself accountable. You know, if I realize I have woke up in the middle of the night and realized somebody did something for me, and I, honest to God, cannot remember if I thanked them. And I'll get on that the very next day because that's important to me to express that gratitude when somebody has done something for me. I work with somebody that does that um, on a really reg regular basis <coughs> in large settings when we have meetings. It was just always so gracious. And I think every time I walk away, I think, man, I would love to be able to do more like that. Because it just comes really natural to him. Mm -hmm. you know? It's a, a very nice... Um, well, and what you're seeing is who he is today. Right. Oh, right. And, I know he works on, yeah. And he had to work at it. He learned it somewhere, mm -hmm. right? Even if he learned it as a child growing up, he had to learn it and he made mistakes, right? You know, a lot of people are, it's amazing when I share some of my history with people because they're blown away because they think who they see today, isn't that true for all of you? Who they see today in you is just who you've always been. You know, and that isn't how human beings are. None of us are like that. You know, we've evolved and changed, and, and if we're growing and evolving, then we're not anything. I'm nothing like I was 32 years ago. Nothing. Thank God. <laughs> and not that it was bad, but I wouldn't have lived past the age of 30. There's no doubt in my mind. Okay, um, blah, 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 snore. Ah, okay, next circle, it, it looks like we do every other Tuesday. What we do is the first and third Tuesday of every month. And I used to do the fifth as well when one would show up, and I'm not doing that anymore, only because the group has shrunk down and um, I still have to pay rent to the church regardless of how large the group is. So I've decided, I decided, I guess, a month ago when I sent that notice out, I'm going to do just the first and third. There is a fifth Tuesday coming up this month. So it won't be in two weeks that we meet. It'll be in three. And that's November 6th. So we'll probably be a small group then, too, because it's election night. <laughs> And I have imagined, and you were saying it's a debate tonight. Yeah. So that may be possible. And then election night, everybody's going to be glued to their two. Yeah, me either. So, um, okay, so there's that. The next one is November 6th. Um, I'm teaching a class called Breaking the Hall of Mirrors, Shedding Light on Body Image. And there's the flyers on it are over there. It'll be November 3rd. There's three seats left. It's about, a lot of people actually, if, if you have to kind of read the whole thing because it goes into it a lot more because it's not just about, they all thought it was a women's group for weight issues. <laughs> and I said, well, that's obviously part of it. You know, because we live in a culture that says you have to be a stick in order to be considered beautiful if you're female and so that would be part of it but part of it also is 
if you have injuries that have caused you, you know, some sort of handicap, if, you know, I've got uh, a person coming because they never got orthodontist work done on their teeth and they've got pretty crooked teeth and they've never felt comfortable smiling. That's body image. You know, height, weight, scars, teeth, ears, hair. You know, your hair's too thin, your hair, you're balding, aging issues. All those are about body image. So, yeah, it's going to be an awesome class. I'm looking forward to teaching it again. Um, so anyway, the, all the information, I've got it over there. Um, also over there is the menu of classes. And the menu of classes is so that if you want to gather a group of friends and call me, <laughs> I'm having to explain this more. What I have is people will call and say, well, if you get a class, a, a group of people that want to do this, this class, let me know. And I can't keep track of everybody that wants to do that. The whole idea of the menu of classes, and I did it because of, based on what people were saying to me, is you find a class you want to take, get a group of friends together, pick a date, I'll put it on the calendar and teach it. And it doesn't even have to be at my place of choosing. It can be at your place of choosing. So, okay. And then the last one is that I want to say thank you to Lisa and to Jack for being willing to come here and help me set up and record. Thank you for doing that, Jack, so I don't have to think about it. Um, yeah, thank you very much, both of you. Um, and that's it. So let's close with the original Lord's Prayer. And, and we can get out of here and go do the next thing. O cosmic birther of all radiance and vibration, soften the ground of our being and carve out a space within us where your presence can abide. Fill us with your creativity so that we may be empowered to bear the fruit of your mission. Let each of our actions bear fruit in accordance with our desire. Endow us with the wisdom to produce and share what each being needs to grow and flourish. Untie the tangled threads of destiny that bind us as we release others from the entanglements of past mistakes. Do not let us be seduced by that which would divert us from our true purpose, but illuminate the opportunities of the present moment. For you are the ground and the fruitful vision, the birth power and fulfillment as all is gathered and made whole again. Thank you for coming and letting me teach what I most need to learn. Mm. Let's have that play while we're doing our, our cleanup thing.